Hi guys, getting going. Buona sera. Uh, I think I might go outside actually. It was raining earlier, but it's been very nice recently, and I think it might be more. It might be nice enough to go out. I don't know. Might have to zip up the old T S. That's right, tracksuit baby. Good evening to everyone, including uh, those of you who uh, are cursed to game through life. Let's take a walk. Let's see what's going on. Oh yeah, that's nice. It's very nice out. This is it. This is nice. Uh, I'm sorry about the Twitch ads, but gotta gotta support the brand always with the stripes. Three stripes. Uh, going back to the shack. Jacking it up in the old shack back. Can I get an Opie? I don't know what that means. Is that some sort of a gamer reference? I don't feel like I can, uh, in good conscience, make any gamer references. Sorry. I am not a pog. Well, I guess I am. I guess I'm a pog. Oh, I know what people mean when they say ope. Uh, yeah, I say ope, I guess, but it's, it's hard to remember. I don't want to fight my neighbor. Come on, guys. Settle down. Oh, man. What's going on, guys? I don't know what happened today. Did anything happen? I don't think things... Nothing happens, right, anymore? Is that the rule that we've all established, that nothing really happens to the degree that it ever did? Nothing is ever happening as a discrete incident. Everything is just happening simultaneously. It's all just like a big, uh, it's like a big cubic zirconia that you just look through. I don't want to play Stardew Valley because that seems like it's just Farmville. And I never really liked Farmville when it was on Facebook, when I had Facebook. 
Yeah, I don't know when we're going to have the gaming mechanism up to up and running yet, but uh, when we do, I'll certainly figure something out. Play some games. It's going to be hard to do those strategy games because I'm just not very good at them. I don't understand how the mechanisms work. It's very confusing to me. And something happened with Elon Musk, like he's going to jail because he won't stop his factory from manufacturing cars that explode and kill people. Is that the idea? It was that he won't stop killing people at his killing people machine factory? Is that it? See what I told you guys, he is the Epstein for billionaires. He's not a real billionaire, he just is a is a plays a role and it's as a propaganda mechanism to make you think that like there's anything innovative or uh, useful about the billionaire class. Shouldn't he take the time that they're making him close the factory to make the cars not explode and kill people? I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing to do with your time? If you were Elon Musk, then try to keep the place open and kill your workers. Yeah, uh, I don't know what's going to go on with that guy. If he goes to jail and becomes like a civil rights martyr, that'd be very funny. And very fitting, honestly. Let's put him on the money. Who cares? He's, I know he's not American. What difference does it make? He speaks He speaks epic. That's the only language we care about. In, in 1640 in Britain, which faction of the English Civil War do you join? I mean, you kind of got to pick the uh, parliamentarians, right? You know, like as gross as they were and as a bunch of fucking stick in the muds they were. And of course, you know, what they did to Ireland and everything. But I don't know. Can you really stick with the landed aristocracy? I mean, you're literally defending the like last privileges of feudalism. I don't know. But maybe if they'd won, that would have like accelerated uh, England into a... Uh, it could have accelerated England into a revolutionary situation, remember? Because like one of the big mis one of the big weird things about Europe is that the most advanced English, the most advanced capitalist country, never even had anything close to a revolution. It didn't even have any big demonstrations, even during the the height of them in 1848. And people wonder, uh, you know, what's the deal there? Uh, and it's because they had a very a very early, like proto a, a, a revolution that was essentially a proto-bourgeois revolution. It was like the towns versus the countryside. Uh, even before those, you know, divisions had really been deepened by capitalism developing. And so it really was like, it put them on a footing to absorb the change in the economy more, uh, uh, more stably than countries that suppressed that sort of uh, emergent energy, like France. Uh, so yeah, maybe if the maybe if uh, King uh, maybe if King Charles wins, then they have a, like an English Revolution that really does something other than have a weird, you know, ten year interregnum where the guy's the king but not technically, and also there's no Christmas. But that's the thing is like if I was there, I wouldn't have those thoughts. You know, I wouldn't understand what was happening. I would largely, my, my views would be largely dependent on where I stood uh, in terms of, like, where did I grow up? You know, was I, was I an East Anglian, uh, you know, townsman? Was I, uh, was I a 
like a failed son of a baron somewhere? Was I in Ireland? That would determine where I would who I would fight for. Uh, the Scots are those the kind of cheeky guys because they get to act like they're victims of British imperialism, even though they were essentially like uh, like co-executors of imperialism. They they like got they got bought out early, you know. Later on, they were doing the uh, the uh, the hostile takeovers, but uh, the Act of Union was 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 just a, a good old fashioned buyout, and it was a. Uh, you know they got stock and and uh, and seats on the board and it was totally amicable, and then they got the they got stock and so they were as much responsible as anybody else. But now they get to act like you know they were they're they're as victimized as the Irish or God forbid you know India or something. Uh, Ravenous, the movie where Robert Carlyle plays like a Wendigo infused uh, cannibal. That's just one of those movies that's got a great look and a good uh, cast, but just doesn't really do enough with it. Uh, uh, which way does the upper Midwest go in the Great American Crack-Up? Uh, I mean, if they were smart, they would try to get, uh, get annexed by Canada. You know, that would be like just immediately join Canada, join the Commonwealth. Yeah, then you don't have to like establish independent uh, uh, political authority. You could just immediately be brought under the, you know, the uh, under the crown. And the Canadians would, of course, I don't think that they would say no to that as much as they might think we're a bunch of oafs, and we are, but we're very similar to them. And that creates a buffer zone, which is rich in timber access to ports and uh, deep waters on the on the other side of the Great Lakes. Uh, much better access to the Mississippi River. Yeah, no, the smart move there is to uh, join Canada. Presuming Canada's still around, and I think it would be. Come on, it's Canada. They're not going anywhere. Uh, now, Ohio is the Serbia of the Midwest. Wisconsin is Croatia. Michigan is Bosnia. Illinois is Slovenia. And Minnesota is uh, Montenegro. And Indiana is North Macedonia. Missouri is Albania. Kosovo is like, uh, I don't know, like Northern Kentucky or like, uh, like Pittsburgh, something that's not tech, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think Minnesota might be Slovenia. I was trying to, to own them by saying that they were, uh. Macedonia. 
Uh, the Upper Peninsula, uh, you know what? Uh, Wisconsin should reclaim it anyway, no matter what happens. Just bulldoze that line like ISIS did to the uh, the Sykes-Picot uh, barrier between Syria and Iraq. Get it back. Get 27 counties in Wisconsin plus 15 counties in Upper Peninsula equals one. Uh, Pennsylvania is Turkey. Who is the Marshall Tito of the Midwest? I think it's going to be Felix. I don't think we've had one yet. I think it's going to be Felix. I think there's going to be an initial, when the breakout happens, there's initially going to be uh, uh, a series of, you know, intense conflicts between the Midwestern states, and I think Felix is going to knit them all together uh, in one, is one nation, one multi- uh, national Midwestern uh, Federation that will either be closely allied to to the point of self-defense treaty with Canada or maybe even annexed and he could be like a uh, like a, vis- uh, a regional uh, governor general or something of the new territory. I don't know. I think it's going to be Felix. I believe in him. Uh, someone wants to talk about the German Peasants War. The German Peasants War is very interesting because uh, it's what happens when you start giving people ideas, basically. Uh, it was a direct result of the, the massive cultural ferment caused by Martin Luther's uh, Protestant movement. Although, funnily enough, when, uh, when Luther found out about it, he was vehemently opposed and he wrote a big denunciation of the peasants for you know, for swearing their oaths and blaspheming God by, you know, deciding that they didn't want to be slaves of some disgusting, depraved margraves and fucking prince bishops and shit. But they got put down real hard. Got down, put down real hard. All those rebellious Lutheran princes uh, didn't think twice about massacring their, uh, massacring their people there. Because... But the thing is, is that, you know, there was no putting the ketchup back in the tube. Like, Catholic, like the, the, the establishment of Protestantism is like one of those elements that's, you know, causal, but at some point is caused by just the intense fragmentation, the, 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 the outward centrifugal force of authority in Europe, especially as, uh, you know, the post-Black Death proto-capitalist economy starts growing. Regional autonomy, city-state autonomy, uh, the universal church was going to be put in a crisis there. And then the social relationships that capitalism breeded were much harder for Catholicism to absorb into their social bloodstream. Catholic Protestant countries took to it much faster. I think Prince Bishops were appointed by the Pope. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Ooh, this is a good one. If you were making a workers' party in the U.S., what animal would it would its logo be? 
that's a nice whimsical question we could have fun with instead of, you know, thinking about decay and collapse and all that. Uh, so, all right, let's go. First, we got the big ones, right? Republicans, that's the elephant. Thank you, uh, Thomas Nast. Uh, and the donkey is uh, the Democrats. I believe that's from Jackson. So, what else? What else can we have? Now, there's the bull moose for the progressives. Uh, isn't there, like, a new Whig party that has, like, a fucking Cthulhu or some twee bullshit? So, if it's a working... Honestly, the donkey is such a good one. But sadly, at this point, it's been uh, despoiled by its association with the monstrous Democrats. It should be an animal that represents some sort of... Uh, strength, collective ability, and will, determination. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking bear, funnily enough. Thinking a damn bear. A bison's not bad either. It's like halfway between an elephant and a donkey, as opposed to like a totally different thing. But a buffalo is good because it's, uh, you know, it's native. Bears too, though. Beaver? I don't know, man. There's the whole double entendre. You're going to have to give, give... People are going to give you the big the business about that. You're going to have to be like, no, shut up. Ants. I don't think people want ant society. And also, ant society is kind of what we're trying to avoid here. Ant society is what Bezos is trying to impose on us. When we're all in our little cubby holes, getting our nutrient slurry and our Amazon, uh, our loot crate deliveries to keep us from killing ourselves for another day. Bees are better, but yeah, that's too associated with Mormonism. Orc. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the flag that flies over the Midwestern uh, State House, the Midwestern Governor's, the new Midwestern Governor General's Mansion. Which, as much as Chica uh, Felix loves Chicago, it can't be there because it's already too powerful. It'll have to be somewhere. They would have to like pick it somewhere geographically in the smack dab middle of the Midwest, which, depending on how it shakes out, could mean oh God, Indiana. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Felix. You're owned. Capybara is not bad. Everyone loves a good capybara, but it is technically a rodent. I don't know if people really like that idea, being associated with rodents. The Budweiser Clydesdales. That's from a commercial. That wouldn't be good. How about the Budweiser Frogs? Those guys were cool. They drink and they drank beer. I mean, who would you want to have a beer with more than the Budweiser Frogs? Fuck you, George W. Bush. Dilly dilly, guys. Dilly dilly. See, the nukes are one of the interesting questions. If there's like a, if there is a real centrifugal power struggle in America between regions, the nukes. And honestly, that's the one thing that I think would prevent it from happening, honestly. More than anything would be an international uh, 
the 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 necessity at the international level to prevent our ridiculously massive nuclear arsenal from just uh, spilling out of uh, a orderly chain of command. But I don't know. I don't know enough about how they're secured. Do they even have missile silos anymore? Or are those all discontinued? I know they don't fly those old uh, the, the B-52s anymore, like uh, the NORAD thing. I know we got a lot of them on the submarines, which literally means that they could be, you know, under control of that captain. <laughs> oh, boy. Can you imagine if a fucking nuclear sub with some QAnon bozo in command of it, which you guarantee you there's at least one of, some guy with a fucking Iowa, Ohio-class sub full of fucking nukes just decides that he's going to, uh, you know, commence the Great Awakening early if Biden becomes president. Why not? Let's put it all on the table. Who knows? Let's play Eschaton. Uh, I can't wait for more Biden holograms. I think me, more people need to talk about the reality of holograms. Like, is... We don't know enough about the technological capability for computer-generated imagery to know if Biden's appearances lately are even real. And I'm mostly joking, but, like, is there any independent confirmation that he is conscious, awake, alive, other than the uh, something on a screen, and I know that at a certain, you know, level that's always the case in this in a spectacle society. But come on, man, come on, man. He hasn't been seen in public in weeks. Is he a hologram? I would like to see proof, and I don't know if it's possible to even provide provide it to the degree that I would believe it. If he showed up on my front door, I'd probably think he was a very uh, realistic-looking animatronic. Because that's probably how he would act, even if it was really him. He did fall asleep while talking to Hillary, but maybe that's the thing, is that they've introduced the new... Biden 2.0, but they can't have him all of a sudden be super on the ball, super sharp, because people would notice that too. He needs to start off sort of at a level baseline of incoherence, and then slowly they make him sound more legible, he's sharper, and before a few weeks go by, you don't even remember that he was all out to lunch. You're like, damn, Biden is sharp. Is he breakdancing? Is he doing the shoot dance? Is he flossing? My God, is he dabbing? And he's doing all those things on top of a casket carried by the Ghanan dancing funeral men in an epic meme. I gotta say, guys, as much as it would be funny for them to try to put Hillary in there, I think, I think they're gonna try to go with Cuomo. He's in the same orbit, and I think everyone must realize... I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't realize that Hillary can't win. Maybe they don't realize that she is... Uh, She's damaged goods. Because, like, at this point, I can't... <laughs> like, <laughs> it occurs to me how fucked up a lot of, you know, your ability to just game anything out at the political level is anymore because when you're trying to evaluate rational actors, right, in a, uh, in a political context, you know, international relations, whatever, uh, 
you assume a baseline of rationality and competence that I don't know if we can at any level. So who the fuck knows? Because it's like, well, they wouldn't do that because they because of X, but they might not know about X. They might not have heard it. Or they might not believe it. They might think it's fake news. But the, I would say that the reason, because the thing is they could replace Biden after the convention. I'm fairly positive of it. Because I was reminded of 1972. If any of you guys know, uh, 1972, when MacArthur, I'm sorry, uh, when George McGovern got the nomination, it was against the party. It was very much a Bernie Sanders-style insurgency. He was not liked by any of the main party powers, especially George Meany, the the chairman of the AFL-CIO and the most important person, the single most important person in the Democratic establishment outside of the, uh, the, you know, outside of government. And so they tried to fuck him at the convention. They tried to sneak uh, Hubert Humphrey, who didn't even run in any of the primaries through the, or, or I'm sorry, who started halfway through and ran late, uh, tried to sneak Humphrey through the prime through the back door, uh, and they had to scramble to get the nomination. And they were so focused on it that they never even really thought about who should be VP until right before they were supposed to go and accept the nomination. And so they had to spend hours arguing about it because nobody wanted it because the whole thing looked like a dog. And apparently at one point they wanted to give Ted White, they wanted to give it to Teddy Kennedy. Teddy Kennedy said no. Then they wanted to give it to uh, Ted White, who is the mayor of Boston, and Teddy Kennedy said, no, fuck that guy, I hate him. And they ended up going with a guy who had been opposed significantly to McGovern in the primary. In fact, the guy who had coined the term acid amnesty and abortion to describe uh, the whole McGovern platform, Terry Eagleton. But he was a Catholic from Missouri, and he was going to help with those white working-class voters, like Biden is supposed to have. And... Then during the campaign, almost as soon as they start campaigning, it comes out that he not only had been hospitalized for mental illness, but he received electroshock treatment, which in 1972 is viewed very, very badly. That's viewed as that is someone who's unstable, who can't be anywhere that not, not anywhere near power. Uh, and eventually, after the McGovern campaign initially said they stood behind him and they weren't going to go, uh, they weren't going to give in to the gutter politics. They eventually asked him to step down. He resigned. And that was between the primary, that was between the convention and the general. And what happened was, is that the DNC met and picked a replacement with, in consultation with McGovern. And it was Sergeant Shriver, who was like a Kennedy cousin or something, uh, and head of the Peace Corps. If Biden said he dropped out because he was sick or something in, in September, uh, all the DNC has to do is meet and replace him. So. They have the incentive. The thing I'm wondering, though, is because they are so terrified of opening the doorway to left-wing politics, right? Especially with the scare that Bernie put at them, that I kind of wonder if they genuinely don't want to win. Now, obviously, we've talked about how the Democrats don't want to win in the broad sense of they don't want to be in charge long enough to have to put in any, you know, to to propose anything that their donors aren't going to like. but they still have short-term incentives to gain power just for the patronage involved. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to work in the White House. There's a lot of people who want, who are lobby, who want to be lobbyists who can connect the White House to industries. I mean, there's a there those people in the DNC they have a short-term personal interest in seeing a Democrat in the White House. 
because they can make connections. They can get jobs in the administration, and more importantly, they can get jobs after the administration as lobbyists for seven-figure salaries, which is the whole point of the thing in the first place. It's to get to that point. It's to get to the seven-figure lobbying job where you just have lunch with four different, you know, diff, uh, guys from different awful industries and uh, undersecretaries of whatever, uh, and congressional staffers, and you put it all on a card, and then that's your that's your day, work week, and you make nine million dollars. That's the whole point of the being a democratic uh, establishment figurehead, or like being anywhere in the in their hierarchy. So there's a reason they would want to win, and. With Trump presiding over the biggest, you know, economic crisis anyone's ever seen, and in the middle of a, a, um, a public health crisis that he demonstrably and obviously botched, and it's like, I mean, obviously the 42-44% who love Trump will never admit that he fucked this up, but I think to any degree that there are voters who aren't really ideologically committed to either party deeply like at a symbolic level of emotional investment, I think they're even going to recognize that he fucked this up. I mean, it's hard not to look at us and look at us compared to other countries and see that there was a real mistake here. People tend to blame the president, especially in election years, for those kind of things. So they know that there's a chance. So there's going to be that short-term desire to get in there just to wet your beak, you know, just to make another notch on the agenda, uh, just to make more connections that can be used later for money. But man, given how bad this is going to get, I kind of wonder if they're worried that if they get in, the pressure from their base to actually do something is going to be so strong that they're not going to be able to pawn off enough of it on the obstreperous Republicans for not allowing us to get anything done. And they maybe prefer the option of just letting Trump and McConnell do everything and then just throwing their hands up. Because then that leaves them not vulnerable to, you know, pressure from the, within their own base. Because you look at the way Pelosi has governed, and I said this the other day, she has just, pa- she has taken, she has assumed there's no reason to pass anything in the House or even put things up for votes because they won't pass the Senate. So we'll just wait for the Senate to release, to uh, give us things. We will criticize them and say they're not good enough or whatever, but we'll still just vote on them. And that shows that in a massive crisis like that, their instincts are to defer to the Republicans because they're afraid to go out on their own. They're afraid to just start riffing because they don't know where, you know, the they don't know where the boundaries are. And they would rather have the boundaries set for them by another party in power. And with the other party in power, it takes a lot of the pressure off from below from their own constituents to do something. So there could be a real I mean there could, but I think there are a lot of people within the party who say, fuck it, I want, I want to win. But I think that there's, not, there's certainly not a unified feeling among the Democrats, I would guess, at the highest levels, about winning this thing. Which is going to throw a whole other X factor into the whole process. It's baffling. Somebody wants to know if there's going to be another Silver Corp with Dan Bilzerian. I certainly hope so. But that guy's totally fake, right? Like, he didn't even... He was... He washed out or something of... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get... 
I don't want to get sanctioned. I don't want to be tactically, kinetically interdicted with, but I thought that he was sort of one of those fake seals. I want to know where his money comes from. I, I don't think it's his. I think it's his family's. But I wonder where it comes from. I wonder also if he's related in any way to another uh, Armenian gentleman with delusions of grandeur and mysteriously large sources of independent wealth, uh, Chairman Bob Avakian. I am not worried about being swatted on stream. I'm not talking loud enough for the police to be called. I hope not, anyway. And I think that I would be asked to be quiet before someone called the SWAT team, unless uh, unless there's just this growing hatred that's going to result in a swatting. Somebody asked about the Fermi Paradox. I think that the answer to the Fermi Paradox just comes down to... I think there's a certain limit on our ability to access energy that makes the sort of uh, distance traveling impossible. Uh, I think more likely is interdimensional travel. Just like interdimensional cable. Like, if those aliens that people are showing on those newly declassified Navy videos and everything, that I think there's a 50-50 chance that that is all a mar viral marketing scheme to get people excited for the next Angels and Airwaves album or their new Air Angels and Air Fries series of uh, home appliances. I'd say those are more likely uh, interdimensional objects than from from that far away. People keep telling me to read those three body problem books. I've got to do that. I'm going to pick those up soon, I promise. How should I talk to my PhD lib father-in-law that hates Bernie and loves markets? I don't know. Talk about the weather? Talk about... Uh, like a movie that you guys watched? Maybe don't talk about politics. It sounds stressful. Find something to talk about that's you can commiserate on. And you got to remember that in those family uh, debates... There's real, you know, shit that's going to prevent you from ever getting a, uh, uh, there's real shit that's going to prevent you from commiserating and really agreeing on politics. And it's, you know, what dad would ever want to admit that their kid knows more about politics, i.e. life, than they do? I'm glad someone enjoyed uh, Richard Jewell. I really like that movie, and I'm hoping to do an episode with Will about it soon, now that it's streaming. Made me think about late-period Eastwood a lot differently. 
I mean, I still hate American Sniper, but uh, and I thought the mule was kind of goofy, but I think he's trying for something. He finally got it to work. McConnell's idea to uh, to allow states to go bankrupt, I'm assuming, is just a ploy to sort of set the bidding conditions for whatever bailout the states are going to get because that's not viable. Like just as a just as uh, allowing the the government of the United States to be a a a, a, a viable state, the sta- the the United States themselves are going to have to be made solvent to some degree. I mean, that's literally what caused the Articles of Confederation to break down. Uh, so it'll just have to be a re a refoundation, like a a refoundation of the the balance sheets and the economies of the states and and budgets. But what conditions are they going to be? How is that going to be carried out? I mean, we're already seeing that they're moving the right wing. The guys that say people in hell want ice water too are already moving a little bit, but you see how little they're moving. They're moving in a way to establish that the conditions of eventual uh, agreement are going to be on their terms. I mean, you saw the leak today about how uh, AEI and the Hoover Institute are planning ways for people to get uh, stimulus checks that draw from their social security telling people that if they want to be able to pay their rent for the next month or have food in their house they have to guarantee that they won't be able to pay their rent or have food in their house when they're in their 70s that's psychotic vile but they're setting the stage so that if it's somewhat less awful and dystopian than that then you feel relief and if it is that bad well we didn't don't say we didn't warn you you know you could have stopped us but nobody did nobody stopped us we it's a it's a free country right it's got elections and yet we're still doing this we're voting for this stuff and it's passing and you're obeying it at some level you agreed to this Yeah, it's remer- it's reverse mor- mortgage for entitlements, and it's a beautiful way to cut them, really. And the, you you undermine them in the long term, uh, potentially dramatically. And the, what in the short so the in the short and how do you pay for it by borrowing more at a time when it's basically free, when there's essentially no interest rate on American uh, debt? Come on, that's a small price to pay to to destroy uh, that looming social democratic skeleton hanging over everything social security and medicare yeah someone points out yang is not going to be able to complain about that because that motherfucker's whole idea involved uh taking from uh, entitlements to pay for UBI benefits, or preventing people who use a certain amount of disability or whatever from getting them. <coughs> but you know, the thing to remember is this is changing everything. This is this is a this is a level of hardship. These that we are not ready for, uh, that we have never experienced, that I don't know if we have the cultural... um, 
I honestly don't know if we have the cultural um, resiliency, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I don't know if we have the cultural resiliency to handle the kind of stress that's coming. Yeah, Pontypool. I didn't really like that movie because I was like, what? I wanted a zombie movie. Where's the zombies? This is bullshit. But the idea of of the apocalypse becoming essentially a uh, caused by a mind virus, I think, is pretty accurate because it seems like we're kind of at that point. Like, how are we going to pay for it? Shit like that. Just purely meaning-stripped noises that we just reflexively spew... Uh, as soon as any challenge to the world as it exists is presented. Like, hey, maybe things could be less bad for everyone. How are you going to pay for it? I'm going to pay for it. Just like a honk. Just not even being produced by your uh, conscious mind. Just barfed up by the accumulated ideology just nesting in your brain matter. I have not considered doing an erotic calendar. I don't think that would be good for anyone. I don't think anyone would like that. We're going to have soupy, soupy brains. Brains like soup. Delicious, delicious chowder. Uh, I don't know about RBG if she's alive or not. Or Biden, for that matter. If they've perfected hologram technology, they all might be gone. Hell, maybe they all got executed as part of the QAnon Great Awakening. Maybe that's true. I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. Ah, oh my God. It's wild. What's going on? Ah. I See, here's the thing. I don't think that Felix and I are in disagreement because I'm saying that in the near term, he's right. It probably will just be more of the same, but, but worse. But the thing is, is that that will eventually, the worse, like the, the worsening reaches a concentration level where you get an inflection point and you get a new level of worse. And at some level, that will be, and eventually, that new level of worse will be far enough away from where you were that you could look at it and say, oh, this is a qualitatively different so sort of social arrangement and a qualitatively more brutal, exploitative, and uh, doomed one. I'm just saying that that is the, the trajectory even of the seemingly banal, worse, the same but worse. Same but worse, but over time, that worse cranks up. And we don't know what the time scale is now because we have all of these variables that are completely unknowable. Somebody wanted to know if Nixon voted for uh, Upton Sinclair. I highly doubt it. He was a rock-ribbed Republican his entire life. Actually, interestingly enough, uh, Jerry Voorhees who was the 
congressman that Nixon defeated in his first race, which catapulted him to Congress when he came back from the war with his Navy suit, talking to the Committee of 100 and getting them to give him a check. He got his start campaigning uh, for EPIC, being an EPIC organizer and campaigning and uh, running in, uh, for the state legislature as an EPIC uh, candidate. He lost that race, but he ended up later on becoming a state let rep and then becoming a congressman and was a, a, a left wing uh one of those like maury maverick type, type uh uh pinko congressman and nixon went in there and just red baited the hell out of him at right the at the perfect moment in history and beat him which is how he also then ascended to the senate by uh by red baiting helen gahagan douglas very misogynistically he famously said that she was pink down to her underwear yeah, it was the only way he really knew how to win. Uh, he couldn't really spin positive visions like Reagan. It was all just pit viper attack shit. I did not see Bernie today. Was he being interviewed, being ignored again? I probably just wanted to ask him about Biden. Oh, boy, it's sad. But we must move on. What's the sexiest Pokemon? Uh, I gotta figure it's one of the ones with female human features, right? Like big lips, big sexy lips or something? But I don't know what any of the Pokemon look like. I'm assuming none of them have, like, butts or cleavage or anything. So, uh... So I'm just gonna assume something like that. People saying Jinx. I don't know what that looks like. I'll take your word for it. I've never done Pokemons. Somebody asked about inflection points in 20th century U.S. history. That's a very good question. I think um, I think Reagan's election in 1980 is an important inflection point uh, because yes, Carter was the first neoliberal president, but uh, but Reagan's election, uh, which sort of took all of the uh, same underpinnings that Carter had proposed that we're going to cause short-term and long-term economic pain in the middle of this country that was going to be last for generations. Uh, he was able to repackage with a new cultural form with the aid of the Democrats that made it much, much harder to push against and maybe impossible. We, I mean, the cultural detritus, the gunk built up around the idea of like the government that started with Reagan, when the effects of... You know, the Volcker shock uh, with mass deindustrialization, which with the with the undermining and fatal crippling of the labor movement, the effects of this are then felt as the results of government, the results of some abstract notion of like government policy. And then, of course, uh, social permissiveness, social liberalism. And so you get this goofy mixed up order where everything gets worse and people are less likely to blame the source of it. So, very bad, yeah. Like, that entire 70s period, starting with the gas crisis, which reset, it reset everything in American politics because 
the the free real estate of the of the system at that point, which had gone from the land of the 19th century and the 20th century, it was fuel. Like the free real estate that allowed America to become a global empire spanning country in the 19th century was the ability of, the, of anyone basically to grab at very, very low cost uh, lands by expropriating them from the natives who had no power to resist after a while. Uh, effective power to resist anyway. And in the 20th century, that turned into the fact that we had basically free energy. Gasoline was, was, was a big business, but it was also wildly inexpensive. And when that variable changed, it changed all the whole calculus. And all of a sudden, there was less profit. And the question became, where are we going to get the profit? And the answer, because there were no workers in the room, was from uh, labor as a share of uh, profit. And that's been the case ever since. But with that being undertaken by Carter, so the first effects start kicking in then, and then solidified by somebody from a different party who is then popular because of his ability to channel cultural resentments, I mean, it fatally handicapped for a long time any kind of coherent left-wing opposition to, uh, the, to the systemic failures of the system. So that's a big one. Like from 73 to 80, that's a big one. That's like, that's the dial snapping into place. I said the inflection, motherfucker, I said the inflection point was the Reagan getting elected. I'm just saying is that the, the, the proximate, like, crisis-causing moment that led to that directly was 73, uh, was the oil crisis. God, you guys are so snippy. Somebody wants me to talk about enclosures. That's like a big Marxist uh, original sin moment of capitalism when they threw the commoners off the land in England, which facilitated the creation of an industrial working class in urban areas who had only their labor to sell because they couldn't subsist on the land anymore. Uh, yeah, like that's why America basically had to come into being because the social, the social friction caused by those sort of decisions that allowed for the creation of industrial proletariats, they necessitated some sort of uh, uh, address, and they couldn't be addressed through the system uh, because it needed, it needed to amass as much capital as possible. I mean, that was its directive. So the fact that there was a whole continent for people to go to if they weren't satisfied with their spot in the new order allowed it to develop and intensify in a way that would have been inhibited by political friction uh, if that hadn't happened. So it's very hard to imagine like uh, cap the Industrial Revolution capitalism uh, intensifying the way it did it absent the, the inputs in terms of raw materials and also the, the pressure valve uh, of the United States. Everyone's yelling at me about the inflection point. I said Reagan versus Bush, Reagan versus Carter. I was just trying to contextualize it. Ah, shucks. 
Just trying to do a little contextualization. Jeez. John C. Fremont, baby, the Pathfinder. Do I moisturize my beard? I have beard balm, but I almost never remember to use it. I actually, somebody has suggested I talk about Robert Moses in an episode. I really should, just because that pauper, that neo-pauperization we talk about, that that lack of a social self and a social space, is very much tied into the physical environment that people were born into, specifically post World War II. Uh, the car-based urban environment, basically, and then the suburbs around them. But the fun, but the tricky about that stuff is that, of course, it was directed from above. It was directed for the benefit of certain corporate powers. Uh, but it was also driven by a genuine desire. You know, people wanted cars. I mean, of course, a lot of that is manufactured. But at a certain point, you can't tell people that. You know, we might do a movie this week, this midweek. I don't know. Al Smith is a very interesting figure because he is a very uh, he is a proto he is a proto New Dealer like he did, he basically carried out a proto New Deal as governor of New York and ran as a progressive candidate in 1928 first Catholic to run for president uh, he saw, his his campaign train actually passed a line of uh, burning crosses put there by Klan's members in Long Island during the 1928 campaign. Um, and he was kind of a, uh, he was a mentor to both FDR and Robert Moses. But he turned on FDR very bitterly uh, once FDR sort of stepped up and stole the presidency from him in his mind. And he ended up becoming a, a vehement opponent of the New Deal. And he was uh, trotted out by re Republican business groups, the kind of people that he'd fought when he was governor. To, to just tell people how awful the New Deal was. And it was almost entirely because of his personal sense of aggrievement. Just pure pettiness. The man was nothing if not a bitter, petty little dude. Just a pissed off little Irishman from the Lower East Side. A mad, oh, what if we found, what if, what if Atlantis rose from the Pacific? And it was rich with resources, and it was uninhabited. What would we do? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that would have to be instant war, right? Like, at this point? Come on. It would have to be instant war. I mean, maybe it would be proxy. Maybe we would reel, reel it away back from the nuclear exchange. But there would have to be some sort of proxy conflict for that. We're not going to... What, we're going to divide that thing up at the UN? Maybe. Not at this moment. Not with this leadership of world institutions. Nope. I always thought Atlantis was a city and a continent. I don't know. It's not real is the thing. Hate to break it to you.
Well, okay, somebody asked why is class consciousness emerging from workers but not in the guilds? There was a sort of class consciousness in the guild system, but it was purely contained within the different crafts. Like, there was a general recognition that the crafts had, had like, a, a position, an interest against the apprentices, but between each other, it was all competitive. It was purely contained within the, 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 the craft guild itself. Uh, Antarctica, and also they were not really being exploited. I mean, they were the ones, they were the masters. So, craft consciousness, there you go. But yes, like the 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 uh, the urban crafters who came after the guilds broke up in the early early modern and industrial era became like the forefront of opposition to the new capitalist system. But mostly along the same way that the guilds used to fight on like trade uh, trade grounds. If the USSR was still around, we'd still be going to space, that's for sure. I mean, that's the reason, main reason we don't go to space anymore, beyond anything else, is that what's the point? If we can't, if doing anything really big it takes too long and costs too much to be invested in, because, like, what, what, what president's going to sign off on, like, oh, you're going to land on the moon when, you know, 12, five presidents from you? And how much is it going to cost? Forget that. Is that there's no pressure from outside to do it. If anything, there's pressure from offsite not to do it in the form of, hey, if people do want to go to space, we can just let these rich psychos pay for it. We can just let these weird billionaires fire their bottle rockets at each other into the Pacific Ocean. Man, if Elon Musk goes to jail, that'd be so funny. If he tries to flee to space, that would be really funny. Do you think you could ever have an experience that would make you conventionally religious? Like, Abrahamically, you mean? I don't think so. Because I could not... The feel like my understanding of the universe would not allow it to be like particularized in that way because I'm I think I'm just too aware of the cultural like matrix that created those interpretations of you know like the great you know the great eternal moment that we are all part of blah 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 you know it's all obviously filtered through different moments in time and uh, I think those are just a little too bit, bit too specific for me. I mean, I could see myself like going to church for a moment of peace or something, but uh, I could not see myself really investing in a conventional religious belief. Somebody I believe is blowing a shofar. Uh, people are people are getting jiggy with it. Uh, and if it's that time of the year, it's that time, folks. So I'm going to be wrapping it up shortly. Get a few more questions in here.
Do I think the U.S. would be better off splitting the smaller countries? I mean, it depends, right? I mean, I would say that if that were to happen, most of those countries would probably be in worse shape than they are now. Some of them might be in better shape. Uh, it might make the rest of the world be in better shape or worse. That's how it shakes out. I believe that is a cowbell. We've got a cowbell and a shofar going on. People are going nuts. They're loving it. And they're practicing their... They're practicing their gratitude. That's what it is. We're all practicing our gratitude here. People keep recommending Gene Wolfe. I should check him out. Yes. They're not stopping, folks. 7.30? Why do you got to be different, Canada? Why do you got to go on the half hour, you weirdos? Someone says it sounds like death grips. I'll take your word for it. I don't know what that means. Who would win in a presidential battle royale? Easy, Lincoln. Guy was a catch wrestler at a time when that usually involved eyeballs getting gouged out of people's faces. Tall, rangy dude. Come on. Every other president is a, is a befuddled round man or a geriatric or a... Or God, Jack Kennedy, racked with 500 different diseases and, and maladies, kept alive merely by Dr. Feelgood injecting him with cortisone and cortisol and uh, Vicodin every 20 minutes. And he was a freaking vampire hunter. Let's not forget that. Teddy Roosevelt, that fucking big phony, that big fancy man give me a break now what would be funnier would be what about a fight between the living presidents okay now we're talking this is what the last thing we'll talk about before I get done living presidents too bad George H.W. Bush is gone because that would have been funny watching him just get punted out of that fucking wheelchair. Uh, so who we got? We got 95-year-old uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, who you got to believe is going to get uh, get rinsed pretty quickly. Uh, then you got Clinton, who is looking like a cadaver ever since he had his bypass and went vegan. He's just very frail, and you know that adrenochrome supplies are pretty low these days. George W. Bush, he's older now, but he's still rangy. He's still a jock, kind of, you know, runs around, probably got good cardio. Definitely better cardio than Trump. And then, of course, the Obungler, who is still very fit 
and a relatively young man. I mean, I don't even think he's 60. He's in his like, mid-50s. So you got to figure the Obungler will win, but the Obungler is, at the end of the day, the Obungler. So I see him, I see uh, Clinton and Go Carter getting starched pretty quickly due to their frailness. And then I see Trump sort of wandering around, and I see Obama defeating Bush in hand-to-hand -hand combat, like the first blood he's ever actually had on his hands. Uh, and then uh, Trump just like, without even noticing... Uh, just bumps into a TV or something and smashes him in the head with it and doesn't even know it and survives because Trump will live forever because God delights in human evil. All right, guys, talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.